European Hearts Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 38, Issue 22, Focus Issue on Arrhythmias, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia. Arrhythmias and Sudden Cardiac Death, Substrates, Monitoring, and Prevention. Arrhythmias may originate from the atria and ventricles of the heart. While supraventricular arrhythmias are much more common, in particular atrial fibrillation, they are rarely life-threatening, but ventricular arrhythmias can be lethal. However, supraventricular arrhythmias such as atrial fibrillation are associated with embolic stroke, particularly in those at high risk. Importantly, however, such complications can be effectively prevented by anticoagulants, in particular non-vitamin K antagonist oral anticoagulants, or NOACs. However, the use of NOACs is limited by the lack of effective antagonization in case of life-threatening bleeding or emergency surgery requiring improved hemostasis. To address this issue, the Working Group on Cardiovascular Pharmacotherapy and Working Group on Thrombosis of the European Society of Cardiology provide a position paper entitled Reversal Strategies for Non-Vitamin K Antagonist Oral Anticoagulants, or NOACs, a critical appraisal of available evidence and recommendations for clinical management, a joint position paper of the ESC Working Group on Cardiovascular Pharmacotherapy and ESC Working Group on Thrombosis. The experts assessed available strategies to antagonize the anticoagulant effects of NOACs. Apart from a possible effect of coagulation factor concentrates, the potential of emerging specific antidotes for NOACs were explored. In healthy volunteers, reversal of anticoagulation with either a monoclonal antibody fragment binding to the thrombin inhibitor dabigatran, a truncated inactive recombinant FXA, or a synthetic peptide-like small molecule has been shown to be effective. Phase 3 studies addressing the effectiveness of these antidotes in critically ill patients are emerging. A first interim analysis of critically ill patients has shown successful reversal of the effect of dabigatran with the specific antibody fragment idarukizumab, leading to approval by the European Medicines Agency and the US Food and Drug Administration. This position paper gives practical advice on how to handle life-threatening bleeding or emergency surgery in patients on NOAC treatment. The paper also analyzes clinical conditions where immediate antagonization of the effect of NOACs is assumed to be beneficial for the patient. Arrhythmias are triggered by a variety of factors. For instance, atrial fibrillation is known to occur in the context of an infection, acute inflammation, or during wound healing, after excessive alcohol consumption, among other situations. Rheumatoid arthritis is a chronic immunomediated disease primarily affecting the joints, characterized by persistent high-grade systemic inflammation that appears to worsen coronary artery and microvascular disease. In the review, Systemic Inflammation and Arrhythmic Risk, Lessons from Rheumatoid Arthritis, Pietro Enea Lazzarini 
and colleagues from the University of Siena in Italy stress again the fact that cardiovascular morbidity and mortality are increased in rheumatoid arthritis, with more than 50% of premature deaths attributable to cardiovascular disease. Of note, rheumatoid arthritis patients are twice as likely to experience sudden cardiac death compared to those without this condition, suggesting an increased risk to develop malignant ventricular arrhythmias. Indeed, alterations in ventricular repolarization, as assessed by the length of the QT interval and of the autonomic nervous system, represent risk factors for life-threatening ventricular arrhythmias in the general population and are commonly observed in rheumatoid arthritis. Moreover, Large population-based studies indicate that the prevalence of atrial fibrillation is also significantly higher in rheumatoid arthritis than in the general population. Although the underlying mechanisms accounting for the pro-arrhythmogenic substrate in rheumatoid arthritis are probably intricate, chronic systemic inflammation is likely to play a pivotal role. Indeed, Inflammation may promote arrhythmias both indirectly by accelerating the development of ischemic heart disease and congestive heart failure, and directly by affecting cardiac electrophysiology. Thus, lowering the inflammatory burden through an increasingly tight control of disease activity may represent the most effective intervention to reduce arrhythmic risk in these patients. Intriguingly, these considerations could be more generally applicable to all the diseases characterized by chronic systemic inflammation, such as inflammatory bowel disease and psoriasis, among others, and could help elucidate the link between low-grade chronic inflammation and arrhythmic risk in the general population. Sudden cardiac death is the most devastating complication of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. In a second clinical review article entitled Prevention of Sudden Death in Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy, Bridging the Gaps in Knowledge, Harry Rakowski and colleagues from the Toronto General Hospital in Canada note that although the annual rate of sudden cardiac death in patients with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy averages overall below 1% per year, there is still a small subset of patients who are at increased risk of sudden cardiac death. The greatest challenge in the management of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is identifying those at increased risk as an implantable cardioverter defibrillator is potentially life-saving in these patients. In their review, the authors summarize the available data on sudden cardiac death in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and provide a clinical perspective on the current differing and somewhat conflicting European and American recommendations on risk stratification, with balanced guidance with regards to rational clinical decision-making. Similarly, patients with chronic heart failure are at increased risk of sudden cardiac death. Primary prevention of such an event by implantable cardioverter defibrillators are therefore an established approach to reduce mortality in patients with underlying ischemic heart disease, while their efficacy in heart failure due to other causes is less clear. Indeed, the recent large, randomized, 
Danish trial in patients with non-ischemic heart failure showed no significant benefit, leading to calls to abandon implantable cardioverter defibrillators in this group. In a first fast track entitled Implantable Cardioverter Defibrillators for Primary Prevention of Death in Left Ventricular Dysfunction with and Without Ischemic Heart Disease, a meta-analysis of 8,567 patients in the 11 trials, Matthew Shun Shin and colleagues from Imperial College London in the UK undertook a meta-analysis of the totality of the evidence. They identified 11 randomized trials enrolling 8,567 participants with heart failure, including 3,128 patients without and 5,439 patients with ischemic heart disease that assessed the effectiveness of implantable cardioverter defibrillators. In patients without ischemic heart disease, implantable cardioverter defibrillators reduced mortality by 24%. Thus, it appears that the Danish study, rather than refuting the use of implantable cardioverter defibrillators in patients with non-ischemic heart failure, fits well with the existing data. Indeed, most physicians may not have been aware that patients with non-ischemic heart disease in companion gained survival benefit from an implantable cardioverter defibrillator on the background of cardiac resynchronization therapy. Furthermore, Mortality was reduced in all randomized controlled trials, except in the Danish trial. This manuscript is accompanied by a critical editorial by Jens Jakob Tuna and Lars Kober, authors of the Danish trial, from the University of Copenhagen in Denmark. Remote monitoring of implantable cardioverter defibrillators may improve clinical outcome. An initial meta-analysis of three randomized controlled trials, i.e. TRUST, ECOST, and INTIME, suggested improved survival of a specific remote monitoring system with daily transmissions, i.e. the Biotronic Home Monitoring System. In their manuscript, Impact of Home Monitoring on Outcomes in Implantable Cardioverter Defibrillator Patients, a meta-analysis on individual patient data, Gerhard Hendricks and colleagues from the University Heart Center Leipzig in Germany performed a patient-level analysis to verify this preliminary analysis with appropriate time-to-event statistics and to investigate further clinical endpoints. To this end, individual data of the trust, e-cost and in-time patients were pooled to calculate absolute risks of endpoints at one-year follow-up for home monitoring versus conventional follow-up. All-cause mortality analysis involved 2,405 patients of all three trials, while other endpoints involved 1,078 patients of only two trials, i.e. e-cost and in-time, in which an independent blinded endpoint committee adjudicated the causes of hospitalizations and deaths. Based on this analysis, Home monitoring reduced the absolute risk of death at one year by 1.9%, equivalent to a hazard ratio of 0.62. Also, the combined endpoint of all-cause mortality or hospitalization for worsening heart failure was reduced by 5.6%, with a hazard ratio of 0.64. 
the composite endpoint of all-cause mortality or cardiovascular hospitalization showed only a non-significant trend to a reduction by 4.1%. Thus, in a pooled patient-level analysis of three trials, home monitoring reduced all-cause mortality and the composite endpoint of all-cause mortality or worsening heart failure hospitalization. The similar magnitudes of absolute risk reductions for worsening heart failure and cardiovascular endpoints suggest that the benefit of home monitoring is driven by the prevention of heart failure exacerbation. Sudden cardiac death may further be caused by channelopathies such as long QT and short QT syndrome, catecholaminergic ventricular tachycardia, and Brugada syndrome. Risk stratification in Brugada syndrome remains particularly challenging as arrhythmic events can occur lifelong and studies with long follow-ups are sparse. In a third research article entitled A Score Model to Predict Risk of Events in Patients with Brugada Syndrome, Juan Sierra and colleagues from the University of Brussels in Belgium investigated the long-term outcome and risk stratification of 400 Brugada syndrome patients with a mean age of 41 years. Clinical presentation was aborted sudden cardiac death in 5.0%, syncope in 28%, and asymptomatic in 67%. Familial antecedents of sudden cardiac death were found in 46%, of which 7.8% occurred in first-degree relatives younger than 35 years. An implantable cardioverter defibrillator was placed in 44%. During a mean follow-up of 81 months, 34 arrhythmic events occurred, accounting for an event rate of 1.4% per year. Variables associated with events were 1. Aborted sudden cardiac death with a hazard ratio of 20, 2. Syncope, with a hazard ratio of 3.7. 3. Spontaneous type 1 Brugada syndrome, with a hazard ratio of 2.7. 4. Male gender, with a hazard ratio of 2.7. 5. Early sudden cardiac death, in first degree relatives, with a hazard ratio of 2.9. 6. Sinus node dysfunction, with a hazard ratio of 5.0. 7 inducible ventricular arrhythmias with a hazard ratio of 4.7, and 8, proband status with a hazard ratio of 2.1. A model including ECG pattern, early familial sudden cardiac death antecedents, inducible arrhythmias, presentation as syncope or as aborted sudden cardiac death, and sinus node dysfunction had a predictive performance of 0.82. A score greater than 2 conferred a 5-year event probability of 9.2%. Thus, Brugada syndrome patients remain at risk many years after diagnosis. Early sudden cardiac death in first-degree relatives and sinus node dysfunction are risk factors for arrhythmic events, which might help in the stratification and management of such patients. Atrial fibrillation occurs increasingly more often as left ventricular function worsens, but the molecular mechanisms of this phenomenon remain elusive. 
Dirk Thomas and colleagues from the University of Heidelberg in Germany address this issue in their article Inverse Remodeling of K2P3.1 K plus channel expression and action potential during in-left ventricular dysfunction and atrial fibrillation, implications for patient-specific arrhythmic drug therapy. The authors hypothesized that repolarizing K2P3.1 K plus channels previously implicated in atrial fibrillation may contribute to shaping the atrial action potential forming a specific electrical substrate with left ventricular dysfunction that might represent a target for a future personalized therapy. Ion channel expression was quantified by real-time polymerase chain reaction and Western blot in 175 patients with different stages of left ventricular dysfunction. Membrane currents and action potentials were recorded from atrial cardiomyocytes using the patch clamp technique. In patients in sinus rhythm, severely reduced left ventricular function was associated with decreased atrial K2P3.1 expression. By contrast, chronic atrial fibrillation resulted in increased K2P3.1 levels, while paroxysmal atrial fibrillation was not linked to K2P3.1 remodeling. Left ventricular dysfunction-related suppression of K2P3.1 currents prolonged atrial action potential duration compared to patients with preserved left ventricular function. In individuals with concomitant left ventricular dysfunction and chronic atrial fibrillation, atrial action potential duration was determined by left ventricular dysfunction-associated prolongation and shortening, respectively, consistent with changes in K2P3.1 abundance. In patients with chronic atrial fibrillation, K2P3.1 inhibition attenuated atrial action potential duration shortening irrespective of left ventricular function, whereas in individuals with paroxysmal atrial fibrillation and severely reduced left ventricular function, K2P3.1 blockade resulted in disproportionately marked prolongation of atrial action potential duration. The authors conclude that left ventricular dysfunction is associated with a reduction of atrial K2P3.1 channel expression, while chronic atrial fibrillation leads to increased K2P3.1 abundance. Differential remodeling of K2P3.1 and atrial action potential duration may provide a basis for patient-tailored antiarrhythmic strategies in the future. The editors hope that this issue of the European Hearts Journal will find the interest of its readers.